fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my holy co-hosts. How's it going? I'm Chelsea Hollowell, your holy host for the evening. Amen. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Sacrilicious. Oh, yeah. And I'm Jack Olander, a boat custodian, just trying to get cleaning supplies, but there are always people making out in my closet. <laughs> I gotta get stuff out of there. It's, it's just rude. I'm trying to be considerate and not walk in, but you know, it it's not nice in there, but <laughs> people just keep going in there. What are you gonna do? Don't your superiors just schedule that into your shift, like having to wait for people? Uh, I explain it to them, but they, you know, they just say to get it done. I'm doing my best. <laughs> well, that's what you could tell them. Knock on the door. Get it done. Yeah. Wrap it up. All right, guys. Well, we're not doing a movie this week because this is one of our beloved satire TV episodes. Yay. Where instead of a movie, we're going to be talking about an episode of one of our favorite fantasy TV shows. And this week, we are doing Warrior Nun, continuing our series on the Netflix original show. This week, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 5, Matthew 713. Now, I know Chelsea's got some Bible study ready for us. So, Chelsea, do you want to kick it off? Oh, sure. Or what do they say in the church? Get down. Down to clown. Ah, right. I think you're going to the Church of the Juggalos. Sounds about right. So, your Bible study for this week is on Matthew 7.13, which reads, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's what she said? And many enter through it. <laughs> That's definitely what she said. <laughs> I thought that was what he said. Yeah, either way. Because it's the word of God. These days I'm content with either one. <laughs> yeah, okay, I see what you did there. God is kinky, I get it. <laughs> I mean, if he created humans... <laughs> Therefore, humans are kinky. And humans are made in his image. Yes. What can we say about God? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, we're, we're treading on a, on a thin line right now. So we have a some uh, initial thoughts on that passage which we'll share with you in a little bit but in this this is a jam-packed episode here wow every episode of this show is just getting wilder and wilder this was intense it was so fucking hype okay i'm gonna try to keep it simple for y'all but it was hella complicated in this episode shit went down let's get into it <laughs> yeah so this is gonna be so much easier I realized to talk about uh, through the characters. Lilith, basically, I'm just going to sum it up 
Lilith and Mary are both hunting Ava throughout the entire episode, mm-hmm. but they both have a different agenda. And so Lilith wants to just take the halo out of Ava's back. but Literally just carve it out. And she t- tells Mary, who's opposing her and trying to defend Ava the whole time, that she doesn't care about it. But I don't know if that's true, because every time she catches Ava and tries to hurt her by taking the halo out, she spends a lot of time trying to justify her actions to Ava. Yeah, she has Ava basically dead to rights and decides to monologue instead of finishing the job. It's true. And Mary's going after her because we know she's working with Father Vincent. They want to bring Ava back into the church to keep her safe. Hope they want still want to convince her to work for them, but they believe that Ava is the true halo bearer. In this episode, Vincent, uh, Father Vincent, he says that the halo chose Ava. So he's speaking with more conviction now. Yeah, he's kind of had this theory since, I think, the first episode. But he is, like, now I feel like he is fully convinced. Yes. And he's also, he thinks uh, Cardinal Doretti is super sus now. Oh, yeah. And we know that Doretti is beyond sus. And Father Vincent became more suspicious of Doretti after Doretti said he wants to take the Holy Shield back to the Vatican. So we're starting to get a closer uh, understanding of the fact that the uh, Order of the Cruciform Sword, Vincent's sect, and the Vatican are not necessarily playing the same game. Yes. Or or are not on the same team of the game that is being played. This is a multi-team game. And so... Father Vincent realizes that he may not really have any allies in the hierarchy of the church besides the nuns that he works with. So he looks elsewhere for allies. He goes to Jillian of Arctic. What? Earlier in the episode, she had declared open war against the church by revealing in a press conference that a nun had infiltrated their labs. So... That's when Doretti said he wanted to move the shield. So Father Vincent goes to Jillian. He tries to work out a truce with her. He, he asks, extends an olive branch. Yes. He, <laughs> he offers to give the location of the shield to Jillian so that they can steal it back because the church stole it from them. And he knows what she's creating, and he says he doesn't care. He says, you know, he won't interfere with her creating her gate. So long as she kind of sets aside her feud with the church and stops hunting Ava. Exactly. She agrees during the meeting, but says later to her lieutenant, her right-hand man, Christian, that she does not intend to stop looking for the girl. It's revealed that Jillian... That kid we saw in the first episode? First or second? I think it was yeah. second. Second, yeah. At the party at Arctic. Yes. He lives in a protected room in the labs, and it's her son. But he has some terminal illness, and he's in this protected room. Or he's just immunocompromised. Something like that. Demon-compromised. Nah, that's the biggest immunocompromisation. Yeah. 
And she asked him if he was speaking with the angels, and he said he had been, and that it was... Almost time. Right. And also in this episode, Ava gets laid. That's true. I mean, the whole time she and JC are on this cruise ship trying to run away, she admits that she took something from the church, but she doesn't tell him exactly what. And She says a ring. Yeah. An old ring. Not untrue. Hey. He knows she's holding back, but then she distracts him with kissing. And then and kissing leads to boning. Um, they try mm-hmm. to give Mary and Lilith the slip, but they end up back on the ship. They aren't fooled. They all end up in Italy, and they catch up with Ava, who's trying to run with JC. Lilith almost gets the halo out of her back, but Mary saves the day. They have a tussle. The halo was popping off a little bit which causes a Tarrasque demon to come through. He he found the signal. It's a bad time for everybody. He came to save Ava from those scary nuns. <laughs> oh! <laughs> but he was going to strike Ava down, who was uh, standing protectively in front of JC. JC, who was about to dip. Yeah. He was like, you know what? I gotta go. He didn't trust her, which is a big theme in this episode. And possibly valid, given the extent of the information that Ava did not tell JC that might be pertinent to his long-term survival. Yes. So, the Tarrasque demon is about to strike Ava down. Lilith hesitates for a few stressful moments, but then she steps in front of the blade and tells Ava to pick up the Divinium Sword which Ava does and uses to strike the Tarrasque back through the portal. But, uh-oh, Lilith went with him. Lilith was also impaled on the Tarrasque's claw. It's true. Why didn't he just follow through the punch into Ava? Because plot reasons. Also, he stood there <laughs> gloating for a while with the... Uh... Oh, no. Did you, didn't you see his face when she jumped in front of his claw? He was like... What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> he just stood with her on his Why would you do that? Yeah, exactly. He's just like, oh, seriously? <laughs> Dumbfounded. He stood there like an idiot and then died. Once the portal closes, Ava does like she, like Ava usually does. And she teleported through the wall and runs away when JC is trying to ask her what the hell is going on. Classic Ava. And then Mary is left in a halo of light surrounding her, just looking super grim. And scene. Well, that's what happened in the episode. Why don't we get into our discussion? Wow, guys, this was a jam-packed episode. There's a lot of stuff I want to talk about. But I think the first thing I'd like to lead off with is, wow, Mary, huh? What a badass. (laughs) Yeah, she gets more of a moment to shine. This is like an episode where she is 
She gets more scenes than ever before, I she think. She does, I think. Or definitely some of the most. Yeah. Also, I believe we're creating... I have this theory. I believe we're creating this interesting juxtaposition where Mary is the nun who is kind of the most rebellious. She's the one who's separated from the others in a way. She doesn't dress in, like, the holy garb. She wears, like, a badass leather jacket and, like, big-ass sweet boots and she uses shotguns with Divinium slugs. Yeah. Very cool. Her methods are... Obviously questionable, as we talked about in, I think, episode three, where she throws a man a gun just so she can kill him in cold blood. I mean, uh, in defense. But I think that besides that cold-blooded murder that she carries out, I think we're establishing Mary as kind of the most faithful of the nuns, in a way. She's the one who believes, along with, I think, maybe Beatrice, she most trusts in both Father Vincent I guess in Father Vincent's interpretation that this is God's will that Ava have the halo. So we're talking about faith and trust here. We are. This, These are the two themes kind of intertwined that are threaded throughout the entire season so far. Absolutely. Besides warfare. Who can you trust? In this episode, JC explicitly says... You can trust me, which is something that usually trustworthy people don't say, but we'll see. I even paused the episode while we were watching it in that moment. I was like, well, I wasn't sure about him before. I thought maybe we could trust him. And now I really don't know. Nah, he's good. He's a pal. (laughs) We also had a very overt conversation between Lilith and Mary, where they said they do not trust each other. Yeah, they finally came clean about that. And they also kicked the shit out of each other in this episode. Yeah, I I think Mary seems pretty straightforward. I think so. She's a straight shooter. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. I mean, she essentially lays out your options immediately through conversation. She's like, uh, all right, Ava, you, I'm giving you a chance to say goodbye, but I'm taking you back, right? For your own safety. And, she doesn't yeah, do yeah. the smart thing and follow Ava to make sure that she follows through with it, but hey, what are you going to do? She trusted Ava, though. She might not make that mistake again. Yes. But she also was just kind of like, damn it, Ava. She was more annoyed than mad. Yeah. She didn't seem, yeah, particularly bothered by it. Just sort of like, oh, fuck. She just <laughs> Like, I want to get her, but... Yeah, yeah, she didn't want to keep chasing her down, and she had to contend with Lilith there. It was annoying. Now, Lilith, she went full crazy this episode. I know. Knife in back. I mean, that's it. Knife in back. I crazy. Mean, yeah. <laughs> she stabbed her in the back. She betrayed her. She... Literally, him. by the way, stabbed Ava in the back with a Divinium knife. Fucking trying Thanksgiving to, turkey. Or, yep. Trying to get the halo out. <laughs> I mean, I think I made the statement uh, in the first episode that I think the halo kind of integrates itself into the body in a way that defies physics. Otherwise, Ava would be having like a gigantic metal ring sitting on top of her back, like just protruding out the whole time. Yeah. I think it, like, kind of becomes ethereal in a way as it, like, sits in their back. Yeah, Schrodinger's halo. I sure. Think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's there, but it's sort of not there. Sometimes it glows. Yeah. And summons Tarasks. Yeah. Vincent is also showing, Father Vincent <laughs> is also showing that 
he doesn't feel like he can trust Doretti anymore. He was working with them before and just like felt like they had a difference of opinion. Hey, that's a coincidence because I also don't feel like we can trust Doretti fucking ever. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe they'll try to make his motivations a little more sympathetic toward the end of the first season. But I did all that evil stuff because I wanted to. Oh, you're right. I relate to that. He's not such a bad guy. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, Ava is also having difficulties showing trust in her friend, JC. Mm Mm-hmm. She doesn't trust him with the whole truth. She thinks he would just bounce. Yeah. But yet, it is her lack of willingness to trust him with the truth that drives him away. Exactly. Curious. That is what is driving all of these characters to strife, into strife with one another. Trust? Yeah, well... Or, or lack thereof. Not showing faith in others. Yeah. So this is, yeah, causing a lot of internal strife, especially within the church ranks. And you know who they're really not trusting? God. Because God gave Ava the halo. Kind of, sort of. Except for Vincent. We see that he is trusting God. He says the halo chose Ava, basically saying that she was chosen to fill that role by God. He's still trusting in that. And he trusts that God led him to talk to Jillian. He says in that conversation, she asked him why he would trust her uh, to follow through with her end of the bargain. And he says, well, he would not lead me astray, meaning God. And giving the coding of the show, he's totally right, too. And she's like, well, the plan hasn't changed at all to her second-in-command, Christian. He's like, I can't believe you're actually gonna, like, stop looking for the girl and all this just because of the Father Vincent. And she's like, what? The plan hasn't changed. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, we don't know all of Jillian's motivations, but we definitely learn an interesting thing about her in this episode, that she has this young, immunocompromised or terminally ill or something boy inside of the architect labs who she calls her son, or that I guess he calls her mommy, something like that. And what's going on with that? What's the deal? That's my big question at the end of this episode. But yeah, I mean, it seems clear that this relationship is what is driving her to seek other realms, which is her goal for creating this gate she's creating out of Divinium. Right. She thinks she's finding a way to open a portal to heaven, but somebody else points out that she could very well be opening the way to hell. In fact, Father Doretti believes that that is the only possibility. Right. But eh, Father Doretti's judgment is less than stellar. Uh, you know, it might be reckless to assume he's wrong in every situation, though. No, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, 100%. Yes. So something that's interesting about Jillian is she's all about technology, but she admits in this episode that she believes in heaven because she's found a way to create a portal to heaven. And I thought that was interesting. It's a form of secular spirituality. She feels like heaven or some other transcendent realm isn't a place 
only governed by the church or some institution. We also know that she has a religious history because when Father Vincent is in her room, he's reading her Bible and she's just like, oh, I like the stories. But then when the scene uh, when the camera angle changes, we see the Virgin Mary statue in Jillian's room behind them. Right. Like prominently, this, I mean, not, I get, it's kind of in a corner, but it's like, we're talking a two foot tall statue of Mary. Yeah. I mean, in that conversation, she says, the church sells dreams, time for someone to sell reality. Yeah. And she says it with some salt. Oh, yeah. So there, it seems like there's something personal going on there. Right. Now, right. Jillian says something else interesting in this episode about hell is a concept that is often used to control people, especially women. And I thought mm -hmm. that was an interesting line. Especially since there are all these warrior nuns out there. Yeah. Who are being, fighting the forces of hell? Being controlled by the church. Are they really? I mean, Terasks and uh, Mist Demons seem pretty hell-like, but I don't want to cast aspersions. But well, it's like, it, this is a Christian fantasy show, so they are how the Christian God made them, right? Yeah. Magnificent. Yes. Well, she could be right, in a way. Hell could not be the way that the church pitches it, right? Right. It could just be for demons in this setting. Yeah. And it it could have been used just as a way to threaten people, and she could be right about that. Yeah, absolutely. However, they the could... forces of hell definitely come from hell, probably. Or, or <laughs> they fuck shit up. Whatever dimension of reality humans call hell. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what she's getting at, I feel like. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Guys, what if hell and heaven? Same thing. Uh, think about that. Hypocrisy, the heavy metal band, said it best. Heaven, hell, God, Satan. You can't have one without the other. Yes. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like a district of heaven? Yeah, could yeah. be. Like a neighborhood? Yeah, yeah. Probably the business district. <laughs> <laughs> Very likely. Well yeah, yeah. said, Jack. Or the suburbs, am I right? Hell, whoa. <laughs> The suburbs are on the outskirts of the business district, which there is hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing Jillian at some point was very faithful, and it's yes. sort of whatever the outcome of her faith was, was not to her liking. Right. And she seems to have taken matters more into her own hands. I mean, I have suspicions that this all has something to do with the child. Yes, yes. me as well. And I gotta tell you, her lack of faith presumed lack of faith. She is very spiritual. She seems like it. Seems like she's lost faith in the church. Yeah, in the church, but not necessarily in God. Right. Or like the idea of heaven is she says she wants to get to a place where there is no death. Right. She wants to create a bridge to this place for humanity to get to. She's trying to improve things, right? It's kind of like going into the Greylands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. She's kind of like developing her own form of like techno spirituality. Oh, do you think she's a techno pagan? Maybe a techno pago Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Te I, mean, I think she's actually a techno gothic. 
Technagnostic? Oh, yeah, Gnosticism. Hell yeah, dude. I was thinking agnostic, but yeah. Oh, agnostic. Technagnostic. 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 She might fit into Gnosticism. We got there. She could be a Gnostic, too. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Which is the opposite of an agnostic, but hey. Yeah. You know, she's a real interesting character. And the thing about her particular lack of faith, out of spite, she is trying to create something good. Do you think it's out of spite, or do you think it's out of some drive based on this child? Well, it's drive based on the child, but she is full of spite in doing this. That is true. Spitefully, she is going to war with the church, yes. openly denouncing them, playing the footage yes. of, one Beatrice. Of, the, of Beatrice, one of the sister warriors, breaking in and stealing the shield in front of the press, right? So she's yeah. just completely defacing the church. Yep. Even though she is pretty spiteful of the church, she is sort of merciless in her quest to do something good. The the sister warriors of the cruciform sword, their faithlessness is breeding a lot of infighting. The church is fracturing. Jillian mentions it, like you said. And like we've been sort of building up to, Lilith is just down for murder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, she's been given carte blanche to do what she always wanted to do and take the halo for herself. Well, Doretti has kind of, you know, spoke poison into her ear and basically said, like, hey, you're supposed to have this. You can even kill for it and God would forgive you because this is actually yours. If anything, Ava stole from you. He's also trying to spill poison into the ear of Beatrice and she just fucking puts him in his place. Yeah, I like that. I like She's this. So scene. calm. I love it. Yeah. Beatrice is I think of the sister nuns. I mean I really like Mary too, but Mary I kind of view as separate in a way. Beatrice yeah. is I, I totally dig her style though. Funny you say that, yeah. I think a lot of the nuns in this episode are beginning to take a stance where before they were unified like we've been saying they're beginning to fracture but a lot of them seem to be fracturing favorably like with father vincent yeah well he's been there for them duretti is this outsider outsider he's from this kind of removed power structure it seems like we're getting a lot of scuttlebutt in this episode about how The Vatican is like the authority, but the OCS are kind of their own thing, and they're not really big on kowtowing to another, to the political, yeah, exactly. Well, you might recall in the last episode when Father Duretti took over, they were saying, you actually don't have the power to do that, right? That's not on your authority, but he sort of used his political leverage to just usurp being in charge. Yeah. Yeah. He swoops in hard. And now in this episode that we're seeing more of what his plan is to go to war with Jillian, all-out war, he's talking about it publicly. The nuns are sort of starting to be like, you know, maybe I'm not okay with this. Yeah. And that's when he was uh, cornering Beatrice, basically walking with her alone. And asking her, in barely veiled terms, 
if I take over, will you back me? Right. And she's like, you know what? I always have full faith in God, i.e. not in you, dickhead. I know. He's, she said, you can always count on me to have faith in God. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, yo, she said it to his face. Yeah. <laughs> she said the quiet part loud. It's true. Well, dude, Father Duretti is like third eye blind, and I'll tell you why. He has no insight into other people. I've said in past episodes, he can't see past himself. Yeah. He's, he's a, a narcissist. He's a narcissist. His will is certainly to dominate. That is what he wants. I mean, in the last episode, he was trying to T-pose supplicate himself on the ground. <laughs> it's, oh, my God. Duretti, to me, I, okay, now hear me out. crossing T-pose. Yeah, that was ridiculous. He was laying on the ground T-posing. I mean, cross-posing. Oh, yeah, it was the T-pose <laughs> planking T-pose. Yeah. <laughs> so, hear me out, though. Father, or sorry, Cardinal Duretti. Right. Garbed in red. Red, often associated with who? My favorite literary character. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The big L himself, Lucifer, who is a clever schemer, often in the way he's portrayed in media. I was thinking this episode, the way he's... When I said speaking poison into Beatrice's ear, it made me think about Lucifer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the thing about... His lack well, again is my favorite fictional character. Oh yeah. Yes. The thing about his lack of insight, right? Is in that conversation with Beatrice, there were I think two or three occasions where she was outright implying like, "Oh, I'm not down to help you." Yeah. And it was only, and he was just And he's like, of, "So you're going to help me?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. I kept noticing how she was hinting like, "Yeah, I'm not down for your plan." And I was like, oh, how's he going to react to that? And he just sort of like pauses for a sec because he's confused, but trying to veil it. And he's like, oh, she's just being nice, right? <laughs> or like, oh, she's being humble. And he keeps like trying to compliment, coax her into helping him still. It isn't until she outright says what he doesn't want to hear that he's like, wait, you don't want to help? It's like, oh, my God, the entire conversation has been heard, like, saying no. I know. And only at the very end are you like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, we can't be surprised if a guy is not, like, able to process that based on how dense dudes tend to be. And this is directed by a woman. So I think it makes sense that uh, with uh, women backing the creative direction of this show, that they would kind of use that kind of real world issue to highlight it here. Definitely. Subtlety doesn't work on some dudes. <laughs> no. Especially dudes who feel like they are entitled to power, like Duretti. Cardinal Duretti. Yep. Right. And, you know, this conversation makes me think about another running theme throughout this show, which is loyalty. Yes, absolutely. Got that in big letters in my notes. Yeah. And uh, he uh, flat out says that it's important to have loyalty to the hierarchy of the church. I think he says that to Father Vincent. Yes. Because it benefits him. Right. Because he views himself as, like, the highest ranking person here, which is technically true, but 
The interesting thing about power is that it requires some amount of acknowledgement from those around you. If none of the sister warriors, none. if none of the nuns <laughs> acknowledge Cardinal Doretti's power, he's going to have a bad time trying to take over. It's true. He's going to end up getting his ass kicked out the door, possibly literally by ninja nuns. Look, if he is... Nunjas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nunjas. Nunjas. <laughs> Sorry to say. Whoa. If, look, if Doretti is not possessed by a wraith, I think he's going to have a hard time fighting off those warrior nuns. True. Or, Even if he is. Sister nuns, I should yes, say. Yes, please, get it right. There's only one warrior nun. Sister warriors is also acceptable. Okay. Sister warriors. There I we believe go. They, I believe that's what they're called in the episode. Yes. They're nuns. But also sisters and also warrior. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are drawing lines in the sand right now for the characters, for the people. The people in power are drawing lines in the sand, I should say. Jillian, she's kind of establishing her willingness to go to war. Doretti is willing to take that bait. Vincent is trying to figure out who he can trust and who will put their faith in him. Speaking of which, real quick, Doretti's pretty easy to bait. <laughs> oh, very. Yeah. Vin Father Vincent tried to tell him the shield of faith would be safer in their walls, and then he sent it away and it was stolen. It was. It would especially be safer because <laughs> Father Vincent wouldn't tell Jillian how to get it out of his own church, but he will tell her tell Jillian how to get it out of the back of the truck that was taken to the Vatican. The tighter Doretti tries to hold on, the more it slips between his fingers. Absolutely. He is quickly learning that his power is very limited and you know we don't know how he's going to react from this point on he's going to probably start scrambling pretty hard to try to establish his own i think i'm guessing his own army of sister warriors he's trying but he's failing so far because the one that he was able to actually sway over to his side just fucking sacrificed herself for the halo bearer yeah although reluctantly yeah but I think Mary got through to her, and that's why she did it. Could be. Because Mary was telling her the whole time they were fighting each other that, like, she shouldn't be so concerned with her own ambitions. God chose Ava to be the halo bearer, and they shouldn't be fighting each other. Right. And when it came down to it, she was willing to pay the ultimate price to hold on to her ideals and put her own ambition aside. My opinion of her changed in that moment. I yeah. Did, I did not expect it. I thought she was going to basically try to wait for the Tarasque to strike down Ava and then, like, claim the halo for herself somehow. Yeah. But, nah, she jumped in. That was that was good. I think the part of what Mary said to Lilith that changed her mind was Mary and Lilith were talking about how Lilith always felt entitled to the halo. Yes. Yeah. And how she changed when Shannon was given the halo over herself. Right. And specifically, there's a line where Lilith is saying, well, you know what was expected of me. I didn't have a choice. And Mary's like, what the, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, she said, don't try to get sympathy out of me just because you didn't have a backbone to stand up to your parents. But I think that this is showing that 
Lilith, for a long time, really, Mary's kind of calling her out for really only having loyalty to herself. Right. And her own goals. But there's also this kind of overarching theme of autonomy that runs through not just this episode, but the entire series. But it's really highlighted nicely in this episode how, like, Lilith says she didn't have a choice. Mary says you always have a choice, or something to the effect of you always have a choice. Right. You can choose to, you know, be a better person, basically. Ava is constantly wrestling with her own autonomy now that she has literally been given back her life in the first episode and given a gift, I guess you'd say, in her ability to walk again that she hasn't had in 11 years. Now she's grappling with the choice of, am I going to become, for, I mean, I don't even need lack of a better word, am I going to become the warrior nun or am I going to be party girl Ava who gets to, like, do all the stuff that was taken from me for 11 years of my life? Yeah, she's only 18. (laughs) I think something in those moments when the Terrask showed up when Ava summoned the Terrask like a Pokemon <laughs> to help defend her. I choose you. Demon from hell. <laughs> right? I think it was more of a persona type of summoning. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, uh, That's totally. Good. That's good. <laughs> it's true. Arson is just a fucking demon from Persona 5. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just a literal demon. But, uh, yeah, that when the Terrask shows up, Lilith is seeing Ava defending JC. Yeah. She says, get behind me, I'll protect you. Yeah, she keeps saying that. Good point. And so I think something in that moment, Lilith, exactly, like you were saying, was hesitating. She was just debating whether or not she wanted to let Ava die. Yeah. And uh, I think seeing her defend this person that she cared about, Without a weapon. Without a weapon. And Lilith, you know, her faith in her family, or her loyalty loyalty family. to her family, that's a family, was put in question earlier in the same day. Right. And so all that combined, she just decided that, you know, she was going to do her best. That's a great point, because Lilith has been kind of questioning Ava's dedication, whether or not she's got like what it takes to be a sister warrior and the warrior nun. She has not up to this point believed that Ava has the necessary skills. And I think in seeing Ava, I think it's a great point, Jack, seeing Ava defend JC, knowing that she's probably going to get destroyed by this Terrask, Lilith is like, holy shit, Ava actually has something inside of her that is going to be necessary to fight these demons even if she doesn't have the training she's got the heart yeah exactly and that's what mary told her earlier in the episode why shannon made a good leader she had heart and she cared about others and she was a good leader because yeah mary points out lilith is stronger faster a better fighter than like smarter smarter than like any of the others but she's a terrible leader because she's selfish ava is not selfish Ava will, much like Steve Rogers in Captain America, the first Avenger, Avenger, be the one to jump on that grenade and tell everyone else to get away. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. Which kind of makes her running away from the scene at the end of the episode feel a little bit odd. (laughs) Well, it's in moments of crisis. 
sure. that she shines brightest, right? And then when the moment passes and the adrenaline starts to pass, she's like, oh, fuck, not again. She's going to come back. You know what? She always does that. What we've seen is she does that to get some time to herself so she can think. We all need a little me time. And then after we fight demons. <laughs> yes. And afterwards, she usually is willing to compromise or see eye to eye with somebody else. Mm-hmm. She's also a very traumatized person. Yeah. So the idea that she finally has the ability to run away and get some time to herself. Yeah, she could never do that before. It's true. And she's never had to deal with not doing that before. Right. Like the idea of having it as an option, but deciding to stay. Right. She hasn't had many deep relationships or conflicts that she could overcome. Right. So... She's always had to have little victories. The idea... Yeah, exactly. Like the middle finger, which she brings back in this episode miraculously. (laughs) Uh, But like... To her, the demon was very scary, but she knew that she prioritized protecting the people she cared about. Yeah. However, when it comes to the idea of losing the people she cares about with things like the truth, yeah, she perceives herself as the threat, and that's why she runs away from them. That's fair. Yeah, because she runs away when JC is asking her what's really going on. Exactly. She keeps evading the whole episode. And then at the end, when it's all just too much and he's seen it, she just has to run away because she's the one who's going to cause the potential problem from here on out. <laughs> so she she bails. She's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe to some extent she knows that if she gets away from JC right now, it will protect him because I think she's starting to piece together that the demons are coming after her or maybe she's remembering what Vincent told her. That by not covering up the halo with that divinium vest or whatever, uh, she is like can kind of call out to the demons. Osmium. They, or oh, sorry, osmium vest. Like the demons can kind of follow the halo. Yes, divinium is an alloy, right? They said it's an alloy. I believe yeah. so. What is it? A mixture of well, because osmium is a real element. Yes. And so, are you saying divinium's not? Divinium is an alloy, right? And so it's not an element. Oh, oh, yeah. Fuck, dude. I don't know if we know that yet. Oh, yeah. Also, yeah, it's not real. It's made Whoa. of divine and eum. Whoa. We might get this knowledge in a flashback some point. That would be cool. I yeah. hope so. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, Yeah, so she knows now maybe she's processed a little more that the demons are coming for her. And so being around the people she cares about could... Put them in danger. Right. After all, one person has been stabbed by a Terrasque as a result of her existing. So she also got jumped in the last episode with that dude in the alley. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like heralded by a demon Wraith. Miss Demon or a Wraith like going into the alley. So she's seeing these demons and I think maybe putting together that they're kind of around her, or at least she might be thinking that. Definitely. And real quick, I want to talk about the characters that are portrayed as sort of the more heroic figures or the, you know, the goodest boys. And it's the outsider characters. Mm -hmm. Like we've been saying, Ava, she's always been an outsider based on, you know, physical differences 
limitations. Yeah, limitations. Up to this point. Her personality doesn't fit in with what the church is looking for. She was killed, you know. <laughs> She's The ultimate outsider, there. you might say. Yes. Yeah, so that's her. And she's been given the halo, probably like we've been saying, because she's going to end up being the character with the strongest moral fiber, right? Even though we're not there yet. That's sort of what we are to glean from that. Her friend, another goodest boy, JC, we see in this episode has been everywhere. All over Europe. She's like, let's go someplace you've never been. And he doesn't have an answer. (laughs) There's nowhere I haven't been except for heaven slash hell. Yeah, exactly. That'll be the vacation Ava gets to take him on (laughs) that he's never been to. I mean, Dante's Inferno is sort of like a tour, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's almost like a vacation. I mean, we haven't gotten to see where Ava went when she died. Oh, yeah. Good point. But uh, Valhalla. Yeah, but JC is this wanderer going from abandoned house to abandoned house. The friends he made, he dropped... Like that, he just, he left them for Ava. That doesn't make me trust him more, though. So, up to this point, he has been one of the best characters, morally. All right. Yeah. At least up to this point, right? And he's an outsider. Father Vincent is not respected by the rest of the church. Not even respected by all of the sister warriors. Right. And yet, uh, he has been the most faithful character so far. Yeah. And he's just getting more faithful as time goes on. Like the Jillian meeting we talked about. He's like, hey, if I do it, I know it's going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> so. He feels he's walking the narrow path. Exactly. Yeah. He's trying to be an honest Boom. person. Yeah. And so I guess. Those uh, and Mary, Mary's the other one. Yes, absolutely. She's been coded. Shotgun Mary. Yeah, all of the scenes we see of her, she isn't with the other sister warriors. I think early on we saw her in a few, but after Shannon's death, she kind of becomes a splinter cell all to herself. Yeah, except now she's tight with Vincent, tight with Ava, and now she's alone in a room with JC. So, who knows? They might bond next episode. They might. But to me, it seems like the four outsiders are bringing the perspective necessary to have the members of the church and of science company. Arctech. Arctech. Just sort of like... Genericorp. Remember who they are and remember what they're all fighting for. Right. It takes an outside perspective to make you realize how far you've traveled on the road of destruction. Yeah, definitely. The most kind of insider or like, I guess, status quo character who's portrayed in a pretty positive light is Beatrice. But that's because she is like wholly devout and dedicated to the cause and does not let someone like Doretti lead her astray. Right. She knows so what she's, she's willing. About. Yeah, she's willing to go outside of like the established hierarchy. So in that way, she's also kind of an outsider. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, like I said, this is a jam-packed episode. I think we've covered a lot of it. So why don't we head into our final thoughts? Well, Chelsea, have we? Wrapped up all of our Bible study from the passage that this episode is named after? 
we kind of hinted at it, you know. Um, right. The passage is about basically walking the straight and narrow path, the righteous path to God or Christ, what have you. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's an interesting passage to use as the title for this episode. I, I kind of feel that way with each one. Each one requires a little bit of mental gymnastics to kind of understand why they chose it. But this one, I feel like I have an easier time with than the last one. It's kind of like which character is truly walking the straight and narrow path to God. A lot of the characters... Spoilers, it's not Duretti. Well, a lot of the characters think they are. Oh, I think everyone... I think everyone in the church definitely thinks they are. Ava is wondering if she is. And Jillian and Christian feel like they have removed themselves from it, but that they are doing something that is morally the equivalent of what the church is doing. Well, if you take it in a broader sense. Or should term, be doing. If you take it in a broader sense and think about whatever somebody's interpretation of a righteous path would be, I think those characters also think they're walking that path. Exactly. I think it's up to the interpretation of the viewer a bit who's really on that path and who isn't. Some of us can agree, like, it's pretty easy. Like you said, Duretti probably isn't. I personally think Vincent and anybody supporting him are more likely walking that narrow path or going through that narrow gate. Right. And it's interesting because Jillian is creating a gate to heaven. Yeah, you're right. So you're saying that the Bible predicted this show. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. This passage sort of reminds me of another one. I don't know what the citation is. That's okay. But it's a line where Jesus is saying, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. Right? Which, the eye of the needle was the name for a very small gate into the city of Jerusalem. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought so it was like a valley. I didn't so it's not, That's he's not saying it's impossible for a rich person to get into heaven. It's just really fucking difficult, right? Right. I think, it, like, it's easy to get through a small gateway if, you know, it, if you're just going right through it. If you stay true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it sort of harkens to this passage a little bit, too, where there are many ways you can deviate from the path which will be detrimental to yourself. Yes. But... It's very specific, the right ways to stay gracious and righteous. And so if you stick with those few rules and limitations or those few guidelines, you should be set and you shouldn't have to worry about whether the gate is wide or small, right? Mm -hmm. The goal is easy to get to if you just follow the simple ideas. Don't be rich. Mo money, mo problems. No money. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what ideals do you think they should be following or that they are trying to follow on the straight and narrow path in the show? Learn badass kung fu. Fight demons every day. Uh, be kind to each other. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's a lot of the themes that we just mentioned, right? Trust mm -hmm. is the foremost. Trust yeah. and loyalty. Yeah. I feel Father Vincent putting trust in Jillian 
is supposed to be the strongest moral fiber thing we see in this episode. It's hard to stand up to the institution you're a part of and be a whistleblower. Yeah. I think there's something wrong and, and seek outside help. And it takes a lot of more strength to do that. Right. Yeah. I think truth is, or truth and trust are definitely a huge part of it. Right. Also, however, I think Jillian displays part of it really nicely. She's trying to take care of her kid. That's a great point. And that's why she's doing all this. It still could be, yeah. it, it could still end up being a selfish act that dooms us all. But she's doing it for good uh, motivation. Yeah, so still. it's relatable. The way she's going about helping her kid is not the straight and narrow. Right. Right. But the intentions are there. She thinks she is on the straight and narrow. I don't think she is. Nah, she's pretty wild. <laughs> she's spiteful, she, like I said. Instead of accepting what's happening to her child and having faith, like obviously at one point she was a person of faith, right? Mm-hmm. She's taking matters into her own hands and losing that trust. Right. Right. Another scene that we only sort of briefly touched on that's important, that sort of relates to the straight and narrow. Ava and JC have sex in a cleaning closet, right? Yeah. <laughs> when they're making out, I noticed it was playing choir music. Yeah. Choir music, right? Yeah, it was. They were ascending. Right. Well, a lot of times, you are so, when you think of strict Christianity, you think chastity, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Right. But the thing is... No one ever said you had to, <laughs> right? Yeah, I thought it was uh, go forth and multiply and be uh, like a bunny. Yeah, go out and chill. Have a good time. Live a little. The thing is, I think that was supposed to be coded as a really good moment in the show. It felt like it when we were watching it. We were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> get him, Ava, right? Yeah. And the thing is, it's because... They're not objectifying each other, right? And they no, really, they like each other. They really like each other. Personality-wise, they, they're they attracted to each other. So I think when you see a scene like Ava's this, got googly eyes for JC. Dude, huge googly she eyes. She can't stop thinking about it. She just stares at him constantly, and he's like, what are you thinking about? And she's <laughs> like, oh, I've been quiet for like 30 minutes just looking at him, right? <laughs> And I think it's supposed to be a really good moment, which is ironic because they're nuns, right? You yeah. assume they made the vow of chastity, but... But not Ava. I know, when she has sex, it's coded as a good moment because it's like genuine expression of life, like I've said in the other episodes. Yeah. It's a connection to another person, and it is a connective moment. Yeah. It isn't like they're just having a fling, not that there's anything wrong with that. But the connection is, I think, the part that is being accentuated here. Right. And uh, that's good. Yeah, they seem to care a lot about each other. I think it is a gracious sex scene. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well said. Yes. It's more pagan. Right. It's hot in a holy way. Yeah. <laughs> holy hotness. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you guys. There's a lot of interesting stuff that happened this episode, and and I like the way that the storytelling is framed has been really good. I like 
I still enjoy the characters and, and want to see things go well for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still like the way that they reveal bits of the world. I liked the scene where when Jillian offered Father Vincent a drink, we find out that he's in some kind of um, AA or similar program because he knows exactly how many days it's been since he's had a drink. I thought that yeah. was a, a nice little bit of subtle storytelling where he's not like, I'm not going to drink because I have a troubled history with alcohol. He says a thing that somebody who's actually recovering from alcoholism might say in the real world. The dialogue is very grounded most yeah, of the time. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. like some of it's a little CW teeny bopper uh, <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> stuff, but yes, overall, it's really good. But I personally noticed that was stronger in the first episode. Yes, they seem to have kind of found their voice yes. and are are leaning more into naturalistic dialogue. Still very compelling acting. Yeah. The characters are established as like yeah. what their base is, and now they can just sort of be fleshed out. Yeah. We were all saying we're really identifying with them all a lot more. And I mean, it makes sense as, as the actors are getting more and more into these characters. You yeah. know, we're five episodes in. Like they're I don't I don't know how the episodes were filmed in terms of chronology, but probably somewhat linear. It definite they definitely feel less like characters and more like people. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So I think we're all really enjoying the show still up to this point and looking forward to two weeks from now when we get to talk about episode six and see what the hell is going to happen with that Tarask? <laughs> and other questions about, uh, you know, like the kid in the architect lab and stuff. Yeah. And on that note, that'll do it for us here on another episode of Satire TV. If you enjoyed this episode, maybe consider popping on to your podcatcher and leaving us a review. And if you really enjoy what we do here, maybe consider going to patreon.com slash swords and satire and become one of our patrons so that you can get stuff like exclusive episodes the ability to vote on upcoming movies and lots of fun extra stuff that you can brag to your friends about having access to that's right and if you want to keep up with us beyond that we're on social media guys oh really yeah at swords and satire on instagram facebook and twitter And Jamie posts some awesome memes that are super funny. And he'll let you know Mm -hmm. uh, what some of the next things are that you can expect from us. If I remember to do it. Which is most of the time. (laughs) Which is some of the time. (laughs) Exactly. And one of the greatest ways you can help us, the miracle of spreading the word, as it were. Tell your friends, tell your family about our show. Uh, if you get more people to listen to us, we really appreciate it. And you'll have more people to talk with it about. Tie a note to a twig. Give it to a dove. The dove is a metaphor for God who will deliver it. Divine send our podcast into the hands of your loved ones. Just So just do that. Chase down a dove today. Deus ex machina. Just start your note with these words. Have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good Swords news? Swords and Satire is a podcast about fi- fantasy movies and TV shows. 
It is a sovereign podcast. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we might be establishing a uh, new bit of fiction about ourselves. <laughs> so, yeah, go chase it, a bird. <laughs> it works. <laughs> well, guys, until next time, Hail Crom!